We've got a special edition from the Lawn Care Radio Network today. I'm Chuck Bowen. I'm the editor at Lawn and Landscape Magazine. And I have with me on the other line, all the way on the other side of the country today, Richard Restucia, head of all things irrigation for Jane now, but he has a long pedigree in the landscape industry, most recently with Valleycrest, and is one of the leading experts, I think, in the landscape irrigation world and is uh, at the epicenter of the worst drought that we've seen. And I wanted to have you on today, Richard, to kind of talk about your perspective about what's going on out in California. So so tell me kind of from a, from a very high level what you're seeing right now, early June, of how this drought is impacting the landscape industry out in, in Southern California. Thanks, Chuck, and uh, thanks for all that uh, you and Lawn Landscape have been doing to get the word out about the drought and, more importantly, what we can be, be doing positively about it. So what we're seeing, you know, in, in California right now, it, it's so interesting because you know, they talk about this drought going on for the last four years, and it's really been a lot longer than that, right? There was a time period of about six months where we had some normal rain, and they said the drought was over, and then six months later, they said the drought started again. So I really think this drought, you know, dates back to about 2007, but it's the impact that's so important. It's, you know, it's equivalent to like a 500-year drought. I mean, it's it's bad. So what we see in the landscape industry is we're seeing kind of a, uh, people are going back and forth from kind of uh, moments of panic to, oh, we get a little rain, things are okay, and then they still, you still see people forgetting about it. You see these mixed reactions. You know, I was talking to some distributors recently, and they were saying, you know, they're not seeing an increase in sales for irrigation, high-efficient irrigation equipment, and I think that's really interesting, and, and I'll tell you why. Right now, we've got these rebates that are available for turf conversion. And in the last few months, they approved uh, 50 million square feet of turf to be converted to something else other than, than, than turf. You know, they want it to be drought-tolerant plants with a 40% shade canopy. So mm-hmm. right there, there's $100 million worth of money coming into the market on these turf conversions just in the form of rebates. Now, 50 million square feet, you know, really, I think the contractor's doing the job right on a turf conversion. It's going to cost somewhere between 6 and $9 a square foot depending on Mm -hmm. what plant you put in, your irrigation, how you prep your soil. So if we just take the low number six times 50 million square feet, what is that, $300 million that are going to hit this market? And here's the key. When you apply for a turf conversion, they give you a certain amount of days before you you have to complete the work in order to get the rebate. That should be, you know, on the low end, $300 million coming into the market in the next 120 days. So you'd think there'd be a panic happening, right? But, you know, as I checked in with my distributors last week, the ones I know well, you know, they said the May was kind of so-so for business in, in, in California. So it's, it's really interesting, right? But I think that there's a certain amount of backlog, and I really question whether or not the contractors, I mean, I believe the business is out there. I know the rebates are out there. I just wonder if there's enough contractors, enough people that are qualified to actually get this work done. Right. Well, I know our July issue is always focuses on water, and we have a really great story on, on Stay Green out there in Santa Clarita, and they've really hit the gas when it comes to turf conversions, and they've booked, gosh, I think it's like, it's a little north of a million so far in revenue for turf conversions for their commercial clients, and they're going to obviously keep keep doing that as much as they can. And they really seized that, and we wanted to profile them as kind of as an example of how the landscape industry can respond intelligently to this weather, but also to the market and, and really see, see an opportunity. So it sounds like you're saying there's not day green and maybe a few contractors are, are kind of the, uh, the outliers when it comes to this. 
not a lot of contractors are seeing the dollar signs right now, or do you think they're trying, but there's just not enough of them out there to do it? I, I don't think there's enough of them out there to do it, and so this concerns me in two ways. One, I think that potentially there's a lot of homeowners that are going to try to do it themselves, mm. which, you know, there's a possibility they can do it. There's a lot of information out there of how to do it yourself, but you know, removing turf is really hard. I often say even the people I know that have no green thumb can't kill turf. I mean, it's hard to do, especially if you have a Bermuda, which, you know, warm sure. season uh, turf grass in Southern California is really common. So that's going to be really hard for them to do. So then I think we're going to see, you know, a surge of, okay, I need help. Because really the hardest part comes right in the, the, the beginning, right? Removing the turf and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then prepping the soil. So then I think we're going to see uh, a big surge of, uh, I need help. And that's that's when I think that, you know, we'll see this next round of panic. Like I said, it's been to kind of calm, panic, calm, panic, and it kind of goes along the lines of a time frame of when the governor speaks or the governor makes, you know, takes some action. June 1st uh, was the time in which the governor's different laws came into effect, and people started to get emails over the weekend about uh, when you can actually water and what that looks like. So I think, you know, based on the communication and timelines, we see these peaks and valleys of interest and no interest. Yeah. You, you've been in the industry uh, quite a while. You, you, you have sort of a national perspective. What do you think is going to be the impact of the drought that's punishing the West right now and other parts of the country? What's the impact that you see on the landscape industry long term? I think this is our once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to change the landscape industry for the better. And what we see is two things, right? One is how do we get people to irrigate efficiently? And then what happens as a response to a drought? And I think we have to really balance this carefully because you know, really a response to a drought, a significant drought like this one, should be things like take out all the turf, stop watering turf until we have uh, water again, you know, let turf go brown. And those are all things that are responses to drought, long-term impact. Because what happens is if you do those things and just as soon as it starts to rain again, you go back to your old habits. So we want sure. to change the long, long-term impact, right? We want to get people to convert to smart controllers. Sure, I want them to reduce the, the amount of turf they have in, the, in their yards, but where they do have turf, I want them to water it you know, with high-efficiency nozzles and smart controllers, and I think that'll really help. So I think this is a chance to really change the long-term perspective as long as we don't get too dramatic on our response to drought. And the other thing that kind of worries me right now, Chuck, is you know, I see what happened in Texas in the month of May, right? Texas was having a worse drought than California than in one month right. of rain, right? Enough rain to cover the entire state with eight inches of water. They're not in a drought situation anymore. And that worries me from the standpoint of I don't want people to stop paying attention to water conservation in Texas. Sure. Well, you're right. I mean, it's, you see the same thing when, uh, you know, when gas prices spike, people start driving less. But then as soon as gas prices go down, everybody starts driving and buying SUVs and pickup trucks again. And, right. you know, it's a time-honored tradition that Americans have short memories, I guess. But you're right. You see, it's the same thing like whenever we, here in Cleveland, whenever there's a day when it's negative 15, which seems to be a lot, people say like, oh, where's this global warming we hear so much about? Like, well, that's because it's negative 15 for 10 days straight. Not supposed to do that all the time. Right. But you're right. I I think it's it's a challenge. I think for what I see for the industry is it's a challenge to kind of again balance it, where you you have this this terrible drought, which is as you say a once in a lifetime instance, but also opportunity to say here's how we can adjust what we're doing to really still maintain a landscape, still maintain outdoor living, despite this 
but not go to, you know, we're going to have to take every living thing out of your yard, turf or plants or otherwise, and replace it with, with rocks and, and stuff like that. There's a way you can balance that. You can't have the same landscape that you would have in Chicago that you have in Austin, Texas, but you can have something that's, that works and is nice and gives you the, all the benefits of green space that you want. But it's interesting that people are so slow to, to, to twist the turn that way, you know, and see that. Yeah, and I think you're so right, you know, and, and I think that a lot of people still, when they think drought-tolerant landscape, are thinking decomposed granite and cactus. And yep. there's some beautiful drought-tolerant landscapes these days. I mean, just jaw-dropping beautiful. And so I think that landscapers have to get out and show what a good drought-tolerant landscape looks like. I think that's number one. And then uh, number two, I think that if people will actually take the time, I think one thing uh, landscapers have been resistant to is that uh, I can do a drought-tolerant landscape, but it's going to eventually put me out of business because the maintenance is going to be low and there's not much as far as irrigation equipment to put in. I, I, I don't think that's correct. I think that, one, if we don't do something, the long-term viability of the industry is really in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Ten years from now, we may have half the industry we have today or a quarter because of drought and, and just water scarcity. So one, we, we have to do this for the long-term viability of the industry. But number two, if you look at, and, and, and I challenge contractors to do this, and, and it's, it's difficult to do because there's many different ways to design irrigation that is uh, micro-irrigation where it's a low flow. But if, if somebody looks at you know, residential property with you know, traditional sprays and what the cost of installation and the equipment is to that, and then compare it to a, a micro-irrigation situation where you're using lots of drip irrigation, filters, air relief valves, pressure reducers, all the things that you need and, and should be putting into those systems, uh, they'll find that it's really going to be about 30% uh, higher than the cost of a traditional spray system. So um, there are revenues to be gained from this. So I, I hear a lot of the contractors say, you know, I'm going to go out of business because there's not a lot to install. You know, it's just running some drip line on, on top of the soil, and, and that's, that's really not the case. And I think as they learn and actually do the designs and do the, uh, the installations, they'll see that, uh, that doing it right is going to pay off for the homeowner and saving water, and it's going to pay off for the industry in the long term, and they're going to be able to make a, make a reasonable profit uh, while they're doing it. Well, I think, you know, again, again, we, we have a national scope and I want to I wanna give some advice to contractors across the country and this is something we've been saying for a long time that, that irrigation and water management services are really a great way to make, make your company stand out from your competition because it is one, a way you can prove to your customers that you're saving them money, but also two, it's a more technical side of the business and a bit more advanced side of the business, I think, than, than certainly um, maybe just the, your average maintenance uh, service contract. But from what you've seen, what are some of the best ways or best areas where a contractor can get some training or some education on some of these other things? Because I think, you know, a lot of contractors, it's not something you can just kind of walk in and say, like, oh, here's a smart controller, here's, you know, here's your uh, ET rates and stuff like that. That requires some, some further education than, than maybe a lot of guys just have from on-the-job on work. What, in your opinion, where are some of those places they can look? Yeah, and I think that's a great point, Chuck. And when I was a contractor, you can't believe how many you know, appointments I went to. You know, big jobs, $800,000 million in landscape maintenance a year. 
and the boards or the, the people making you know, the decision makers would schedule one contractor out after another. And I used to always just chuckle to myself because as we were waiting to go in, the contractor would come out, and of course you know them, right? And you'd say mm -hmm. hi to them, and you'd go in and you'd make your pitch in 30 minutes and walk out and see the next group. And I, I often imagined you know, we were all saying the same thing, right? We do the best work. Sure. We do it at the best sure. price, right? And this is the thing they hear over and over again, and, and they can't distinguish one from the other. And that's why they Do you have a green there. truck? Do you have a red truck? Do you have a blue truck? Tell me what's different about your company. So when we started really showing what we could do on water management, our focus was water management. Just like you said, we really differentiated ourselves from the marketplace. And in times when the economy was really bad at Valley Crest in 2009, 2010, we were growing like crazy, and it was really because, you know, I feel it was because we were differentiating the, the water management, and we were just grabbing tons of market share across the nation. That wasn't just in the West. That was across the nation. So um, I, I think that's important. So, yes, you, you have to have a trained staff to do this, and the IA, the Irrigation Association, I'm on that board of directors, mm -hmm. so, you know, <laughs> you want to mention that, but they have great classes and certifications. But also your, your, your local chapters of uh, CLCA, state chapters of CLCA, most of them also have training available and certification. So I think you can look to those places first. Uh, I, I think the other thing, and uh, you know, I, I started a student intern last summer from Cal Poly, and boy, we started looking at what was available in video training on the web from the manufacturers, and it's, it's, it's amazing. And this is video training that you can do late in the afternoon or after work or on the weekends. It's just there for you. The level of training that is available to contractors today from the manufacturers is huge and it's valuable. And uh, if they'll take the time to look at it, I think that they'll uh, raise their level of expertise uh, in a very short period of time. Yeah, you're right. You make a good point that there is a lot of material available that isn't necessarily take a half a day and go, go to your, uh, your local community college and, and sit in a room. Uh, not that that's not valuable, but as busy as everyone is, as everyone scrambles, especially this time of year, to really get their days in and get their money made, it's nice to have some options that are something you can do after the sun's gone down or if it's raining. Maybe not where you are, but you know where we are. But uh, when you have a weather delay, you can take advantage of that and, and, and get some of that training the market is there, and it's such a it's such a good message, I think, for the industry to to put out that again, it's an opportunity for a contractor to say, "Hi, I'm here, and I'm part of the solution. You know, I'm here to help you, whether that's you know converting turf or saving water or or just installing a more efficient system or putting in drought tolerant plants or or something. You know, it's there's so much opportunity there for the industry to say, "We're here, and uh, you know, this is something we can work with you together. We're the experts on this. You know." I think that's, again, anytime the industry, anytime a contractor can get that message in front of somebody, it's better for everybody. So, so Richard, thank you very much for, for sharing all this. This has been really, uh, really helpful. And I, I, do, I do hope that, that it gets a little wetter out in California, but I, I hope more so, I think more realistically, that contractors can find an opportunity here and, and really improve the landscape as they're, as they're working on things. Yeah, thanks very much, Chuck. And I do too. And I, I do have confidence in the, in the contractors here. And I do think that they're going to take this issue and turn it into the opportunity it is and really change our long-term water use habits and as a result, have a better California for the long term.